listeners welcome back once again and we are i'm delighted to say back in person with me Nia fitzpatrick and i'm joined as always by nicola Volpe. we're back in person it's been too long hopefully you listeners have not heard too much of a difference but mm. makes a huge difference to us doesn't it Nia? i think yeah we did we did a few remotely due to travels and everything and it, we got better as it went on almost to the point in the last few episodes where i thought okay you could almost think we were in the same room, mm. maybe. But uh, we know that it's just not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. You know, we can basically reach out here and give each other a high five. We'll do that constantly throughout the episode. Every yeah. time every time you hear one of those, that's uh, that was a high five. But yeah, great to be back in the studio. Although, ironically, most of this episode will have been recorded remotely because it's an that interview I conducted. That is true. But we thought we'd give the listeners a little something just to uh, keep them happy at the start. You know, Exactly, exactly. And listeners... Again, thanks for joining. Uh, anybody that's new here, welcome. And make sure, if you haven't already, to click subscribe. You'll automatically get the episodes. That's maybe the one thing that you do that really helps us grow the podcast the most. As well as sharing with uh, with friends and yes. loved ones. We love that Loved too. ones, exactly. Family. Who- whoever. Indeed. I mean, Indeed. you know, subscribe to the podcast from your grandmother's phone. I we, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have nothing against that. No. Uh, ethically, ethical issues aside. But I do think I want to repeat my, you know, recruiter postulator uh, mantra, mm. as I said a few episodes, if not months ago. You know, you know best who will be a good postulator, you know, and, and we just trust your judgment on this. It's like the refer a friend programs in work. You know, we really do trust. We're not going to pay you anything for it, obviously, but you are more than welcome to recruit a postulator. Who do you think would be a good listener and a good contributor to the show? And maybe more to come on that topic a bit later on as well. Yeah, definitely. We are quickly approaching, Neil, our episode L, our episode 50 of Lost in Postulation. Love that. Taking the L, as the uh, as the kids say. Exactly. Taking the L. Hopefully it's a W, but yeah. we'd love for you listeners to join us on that 50th episode journey. We're going to put out some opportunities for you to postulate with us on that one. Even more than ever through the medium of audio, through audio messages. We think. We think it's a goer. We've tried it before in the past, but we think it's time to bring it back now with a vengeance. Looking forward to that. Yes. And listeners, as always, you can reach out to us. To our email, lostinpostulation at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram where we're putting up all these fun little polls of which we'll get to the results of one soon. That's lostinpostulation on Instagram, uh, where you can also find our sister podcast, Hossman FC, diving deep into the world of football. Absolutely. And any future podcasts of which we have not uh, yet decided but you never know. We could launch another. Exactly. Why not, right? I think a fantasy Premier League podcast is overdue at this point. But it might be. Maybe and next season. Fortunately, we're yeah. approaching the end of that season. Sadly. Um, yeah. Fantasy Premier League. And Neil, then there is, of course, X. There is, of course, at Impostulation on X. Yeah. How's that going these days? It's, <laughs> uh, it's a journey these yeah, days, really. Yeah. Uh, I admire us for sticking with it. Yeah. You know? But I think it's hard to, hard to call that our main growth driver. Uh, into the future are you going to make a call on x not existing 12 months from now we're recording Mm. at the end of february 2024 Nah, i think the not existing is is a too big a call because if i remember rightly myspace continued to exist for years and years after everyone stopped that's true it It just kind of stuck there you know you could go check out tom from myspace's page anytime right so i think the more likely future is that it'll just slowly dwindle into irrelevance I'm I'm a bit frustrated though by how relevant it still is. Unfortunately, right. there's a lot of channels, uh, as I mentioned before, the police force in Denmark, among other places, like they <laughs> use it as their main communication channel. So right. unfortunately, we can't go without it quite yet. 
but all we need is a better solution a better backup are you i know we touched on this a previous episode but are you scrolling down the feed of the police force here in copenhagen not able there's the freaking uh, problem now that uh, if i <laughs> like i can click into the police force's x account and x with its extremely toxic policy now is like mm. sign up sign up sign in or you're not i'm not showing you i'm not showing you unless okay you. it's unbelievable especially when it comes to things like public health or like public safety right that it may become the case where if there was like an active shooter god forbid like mm-hmm. there has been in denmark not too long ago right and you want to get updates from the police twitter account which they use as their main update source right. you would be told log in to see more tweets from cph police force. wow that's horrible yeah. it's ridiculous i don't I, there must be some override or something that i'm not aware of but in any case as far as i can see as far as i know you have to log in to see people's timeline now okay well ridiculous. there you go well yes ridiculous what wasn't ridiculous though neil was the feedback our listeners get gave us we put out a poll there was another electoral campaign mm. to decide who are the comedians turn dramatic actors that should be on our mount chucksmore from love the last name. episode love that name yeah. which you placed in edinburgh i did i stand by that yeah, yeah. very good so as you know, we had already decided on three actors that were on there. That was the great Olivia Coleman, mm-hmm. the great, rest in peace, Robin Williams, and Jamie Foxx. Yeah. I had one reflection afterwards, which was, were we clear enough with ourselves about the definition of comic actor versus comedian necessarily? Because mm. you probably yeah. could argue comedian evokes the guy who stands on a stage or the lady who stands on a stage telling hey do you know what's funny about airline right. food you know and really what i was getting at more and i think the spirit of it where we landed was comic actors like people who were actors of course but just more in a comic bent so to speak i think we see that in the names and right after we finished recording that one i realized we didn't discuss bill murray other yeah. than just naming him in the beginning to say he was out and i true. don't think that's fair to him or the entire murray family yeah yeah, yeah. that's probably true although what Okay, no, let's not go there. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not, not reopening this kind of yeah, worms. Okay. Um, anyways, those were three names. Yep. We had a four-way playoff for the fourth seat there for the Teddy Roosevelt yes. on this Mount Chucksmore. And that was between, Neil, your favorite, Jim Carrey, yes. Aubrey Plaza, Adam Sandler, late entry, mm. and Steve Carell. Okay. Now, it was a very interesting campaign. Um after about four hours of this 24-hour uh, election cycle, we had an early poll conducted, yeah. some some exit polls, and it looked like turnout was a bit low. That's annoying. And there was essentially at that stage a three-way tie where we had Jim Carrey, Aubrey Plaza, and Steve Carell all on 33%. <laughs> yeah, that is a low turnout, <laughs> right? Yeah. And <laughs> poor Mr. Sandler. Yeah. With not a single vote after four hours of, of yeah of polling. okay I okay. see I see the issue here yeah um so that wasn't great uh but it looked it looked riveting it looked like one of the the tightest elections we've ever seen 100 uh, amongst those three um and so we kept a close eye out and come the end of it again it was kind of a nail biter mm-hmm. Sandler started getting votes and Sandler uh-huh. actually like an independent candidate yeah. somewhere who has no shot at winning. Alara, let's say Ralph Nader in 2000, yeah. started taking votes from some serious contenders. Yeah. And you could say Sandler was the kingmaker yeah. in this he election. He split the vote, probably. Yeah. He split many votes. So yeah. we ended up with two candidates on 18%, mm-hmm. um, the lowest, right? So, mm-hmm. But a very respectable. I mean, okay. to get 
and be in third, fourth place. Yeah. That was Aubrey Plaza and Mr. Sandler. Okay. Thanks for coming. Thanks for participating. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, you know, I would think Aubrey Plaza, maybe if we do this again in 10 years, could, could win the yeah, whole Yeah, thing. but that's, that's for the future. That's yeah. For, okay. That's for that. The final, the runoff, let's mm-hmm. call it, mm-hmm. between Jim Carrey and Steve Carell ended at 35% to 29%. Ooh. Quite close, actually. So, so Carell gaining two since the entry of Sandler. Okay. Right? And potentially Carell with 35% <gasps> and Jim Carrey with 29%. Steve Carell joins us in Edinburgh on Mount Chucksmore. He does, but I'm... Okay. 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 I'm not going to... No, I no, no, respect... I respect let's the give list. you your minute. I just... I know I said it at the last episode as well. I was like, okay, Foxcatcher, Yes. I'm sure that's very good. I haven't seen it, but mm-hmm. I'm sure he does a good job in that. The Big and Short. The Big Short, yeah, although it's kind of a comedic... A beautiful Boy. Is that a, is that a film? I, I talked about it last time. Yeah. You weren't listening. I yeah, told yeah, you yeah, an yeah. incredibly emotional film about yeah. addiction and fatherhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess that's what the listeners are going in on. Maybe I have some uh, some homework to do. Put it that way. Carrie. Um, I just think it's a, it's a shame. Like, Carrie should be the first name. It was a very polarizing vote. We got a lot yeah. of comments about Carrie not winning. Yeah. We also got a comment from loyal listener, the Graham Cracker O'Hara, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. saying, not enough respect for Adam Sandler. Y'all sleeping on Rain On Me. Okay, maybe we are. Yeah. And and he's right, because then I, I remember that film. Rain On Me, yeah. With Adam Sandler and Don Cheadle. Ooh, Don Cheadle I'm a fan of. Well, there you go. Except in Ocean's Eleven. But everything else, he's, <laughs> he's great in. He's Duh. good at. Oh, Don, you, you dog. You can't let them off the hook for these. Like, when yeah. actors do bad accents, you have to hold them, hold their feet to the fire and say, this wasn't good enough. That's true. And you're one that praises when they do good accents I'm the consistently. First one, so. I'm the first one to say that was a good accent, but this was not a good accent. So there you have it. We've we've conducted three Mount Rushmores now. You can listen wow. to the past episodes, listeners, and uh, we're going to keep rolling with this. Yeah, it, was um, fun, uh, it was a fun little adventure. Let's keep it in the segment... Uh, bag of tricks you know we can always come back to it but I think it was a nice uh, nice little experiment we ran here yeah and listeners uh, after the break you will hear other Rushmores in my interview with D.H. Ah, Porter cool. uh, we, we threw in a few of those at the end of the episode so D.H. Porter is a, is a rapper that I know from the Twin Cities Minneapolis mm, St. Mm. Paul Minnesota nice. and uh, we dove into uh, a bit of his music his latest album releases uh, discussions also on mental health on where we wow. stand with Minnesota sports and the long suck- suffering hey, fans there so postulations all over the place he was a, a great guest would love to have him on again and uh, yeah Neil, I hope you and the listeners uh, all enjoy it. Absolutely. Sounds good. Let's get into it. It's hard to see the forest from the trees. It's hard to see the forest from the trees. So much residue, you think we were professional. I could have it all if I were less involved. Exercise, restraint, I like basketball. Used to play PlayStation, get way wasted. Now I walk around my place pacing. Hey, stranger, I'm the strangest. I'm the weirdest. That's probably why you feel this. So many hijinks, the beat is my sidekick. I'm like sick. Okay, cool. Yeah, these bars are delicious and they're homemade too. I got more bars than the nut factory. If I don't go dumb, then it's unsatisfactory. I'm not trying to be trendy. I'm treading water. I'm dying. You're pretending to actually get the problem. Listeners, welcome back. Joining me now from the Twin Cities, rapper D.H. Porter. Daniel, welcome to Lost in Postulation. 
Dude, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here on the show. Absolute pleasure for us as well. Uh, listeners, for those of you that don't know, most of you wouldn't know, Daniel and I know each other since uh, we're about 13, uh, since before my own hairline uh, was receding. I'll speak for myself there, Daniel. Uh, That's uh, two for two in terms of receding hairlines on this call. Yeah, not much <laughs> to be done apart from uh, expensive transplants at this stage or just owning it, right? Got to own it. Got to own it. And uh, so it's great for me to, to reconnect with Daniel uh, doing this. Um, really, uh, really refreshing. I've been looking into a lot of his music lately. It came up, listeners will know, I'm not the most active uh, on social media. So when I found out, it was like a treasure trove that my buddy from high school was making all this, this rap music. It gave me plenty of hours. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, do you want to come onto the podcast, discuss a bit your, your music process and, and all this stuff? And, 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 he, and he obliged. So we're going we're gonna to have this conversation now. But Daniel, you know, before we get to the music side of things, um, I have to introduce you to our listeners as a long-suffering Minnesota sports fan. And we have listeners from all over the world. Um, how would you sum up the experience of being a Minnesota sports fan for those that might be oblivious to it? Um, it's frustrating. And it's, it's been mostly pretty painful throughout my life. Um, the interesting thing about the Minnesota sports failures is it's not really confined to one particular team. It's not like, oh, you know, the Vikings lose a lot, but we got the, this other team that's winning championships. I mean, I do think we have to shout out the Minnesota Lynx, our WNBA mm -hmm. team, who's got four titles. But beyond that, um, in the like major men's sports, uh, they haven't won any championships in my lifetime. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, who are the most popular team in town, have the record for the most regular season NFL wins, never winning a Super Bowl. I mean, they've been competitive and good for a long time, and they just break the fans' hearts. The Twins, I got my Twins pennant up here, uh, just broke the longest playoff win drought or playoff losing streak in all of pro sports. We hadn't won a playoff game for most of my life. Yep. Um, and then there's the Timberwolves. Then there's the NBA team, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who – uh, are on, probably on the short list historically the most incompetent franchises in all of pro sports. Um, so <laughs> it's it's been an interesting ride. You know, I think the identity of local sports fans is really caught up in all of the suffering. When things do start to go wrong, the fan bases spiral really quickly, mm -hmm. right? And people just kind of assume the worst. They say, oh, why is this happening to us again? Are we cursed, et cetera? Um, and so I've found you kind of have to have some fun with it. Like, only one team is going to win every season. Um, so it's not like any individual year you're really thinking, oh, that was our year. I mean, there have been some Viking seasons that I thought were maybe our year. But most of the time, it's just like the cascading effect of all of these losing seasons over the course of a lifetime starts to starts to weigh on you. And you can see that around town, I think, for sure. Yeah, it definitely starts to take a toll. And what I remember in particular, of course, now I have a, an ocean of buffer separating me from a lot of the suffering and, and that's my alibi at times is just the the time difference to, to not watch those games at two or three in the morning but we did have a lot of uh what you and i who were you know routinely watching all the games even in you know these horrible excuses for establishments like the hubert h humphrey metrodome um we also had a lot of Fairweather fans that we would scowl at when they would jump onto a bandwagon of a 
of a Vikings team that was, you know, 10 and two and going for it with Brett Favre or whatever late in the season. Um, has it changed in terms of these new generations? And we see it over here with our version of football soccer, right? Where they're oftentimes following a player instead of being so tribal with a team, right? So they'll be LeBron fans or, you know, I don't know what, Anthony Davis fans, Giannis fans, follow them wherever they go. Um, has that is that also applied to the context in Minnesota? Uh, first, I want to give a quick shout out to the Metrodome because, well, it may have been a dump. It was our dump. It was our uh, dump. Exactly. We get to we get to hate on it, but the rest of the world should know we love the Metrodome. We love. Uh, I saw some high quality state high school soccer there back in the day. Yes. Uh, in addition to many Twins games and a couple Vikings games. Um, to answer your question. I think it's definitely true that like fandom as a whole has shifted the concept of fandom. And I think particularly here when your local teams don't always give you a lot to root for, it's only easier to be a LeBron fan or to be, you know, one of my best friends is a James Harden fan. Right. If you're a James Harden fan, <laughs> it means you're a fan <laughs> of a new team every couple of years. James Harden fan, you really rotate through being a fan of a lot of different teams. Um, and I get it too. I mean, I, I love Giannis. I think I, I love LeBron. Um, I mean, we've always seen this, even growing up, like when the Timberwolves were having a hard time bringing out fans, a lot of times you go to a game and it would be fans of the opposing team, right? Yeah. There's ton, There's a lot of transplants here. There's a ton of Lakers fans. There's plenty of Boston fans, New York fans. Um, and I think that's definitely true with the younger generation as well. I think because specifically the Timberwolves are having like their best season in 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, the Timberwolves are legitimately good right now. And they have Anthony Edwards, who is the kind of player who drink, who draws in fans from other markets. Even if you have no connection to Minnesota, if right. you're a young, if you're a young kid, who's an NBA fan, you might decide you're an Anthony Edwards fan. And so I think locally, right. I mean, that team is selling out games. There's, tons of attention the bandwagon of the timberwolves specifically is definitely filling up but like that is very much conditional on their current situation it's not as though there's like a bunch of diehard basketball fans around town who are going to stick through like another tough season in this case people are just happy to have a winner to root for right and it's actually 20 years ago since we had that 03-04 season with the Timberwolves going to the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. Do, I know, it's kind of convenient. There's like a real symmetry there that it's exactly 20 years since mm -hmm. that great team. Yeah. Do, are there parallels between the two? Like, do you think these Wolves are on a great regular season run or that they could also be genuine contenders? Well, the interesting thing about this Timberwolves team is that it's more of an ensemble cast, right? In mm -hmm. 2004, KG won the MVP. He was clearly the best player in the league, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, and this season, the Timberwolves aren't going to have anyone finish in the top five. They might not have anyone on the team receive MVP votes, mm -hmm. despite currently being the number one seed in the Western Conference. Um, it's much more of a well-rounded team that this team has more of an identity built around defense specifically thanks to Gobert, and they've got the best defense in the league whereas i think the flip saunders era timberwolves right i mean kg was a wonderful defender but flip and the team as a whole was built to to score points mm -hmm. and they had a good supporting cast that was the one year that we could really put a good team around kevin garnett 
Um, but still, he was the clear number one guy on offense and defense. And this year, I think the roles are a little bit more like um, spread out. They're not as reliant on one player as that team was. How is that going to translate into the playoffs? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, right, as Minnesota fans, we're so well-equipped to heartbreak that it's like if they lost in the first round, would anyone really be that surprised? Personally, I think that (laughs) (laughs) we kind of have to brace for the worst. But on an intellectual level, like, is this team equipped for the playoffs? I think that their defensive identity should at least make them competitive in any game or in any series. Definitely, definitely. And, I mean, the reason why I ask contender now and I don't tell you, like, could they do it within the next three years? Because they definitely could. But the reality of the NBA nowadays is, are those guys all going to be together still in three years? Probably yep. not, right? Probably not. Um, I think this playoffs will have like a huge impact on the next five years of the team because they're going to get very expensive. And if they win, I think that the owners will pay to keep the team together. But it's hard to justify having such an expensive roster if you're not making deep playoff runs. So we'll see in a couple months. We'll see in a couple months. And, well, in the meantime, you already mentioned uh, the the Twins getting the first playoff wins, the ones that we were dreaming of when we were in high school with all those blown saves against the Yankees. Oh, God. Um, they got their first playoff win. They topped the AL Central last year. Do you, how do you see the, the new season uh, coming coming around now for the Twins? Well, it's definitely an advantage to be in the weakest division in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you kind of have to start with that. Because the interesting thing about the Twins, right, they haven't struggled to make the playoffs. They've just struggled to win games once they got there. I was able to attend their win game two against the Blue Jays last fall. I got to see a playoff win at Target Field, which um, obviously was a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, never got to see a playoff win in person at the Metrodome. Um, and it was great. The atmosphere was electric. We had really good crowds. Um, it's, it's a fun team and I expect them to, I mean, Cleveland is the only team in the division that I worry about because they're just really smart, but in terms of like the combination of payroll resources, which again, the twins aren't a big spending team, but they spend more than Cleveland. They're smarter than the white Sox. Uh, I think the twins are in good position to win the division again. It's baseball. There's a lot of randomness. There's more randomness in baseball than in any other sport that I closely follow. Uh, which is fun. It's part of the beauty of it. So you can't say like, oh yeah, they're a lock for the playoffs. But I would, I think, you know, the projection systems I like to look at have them favored to win the division. And I look forward to attending more games at Target Field, regardless of how the season goes. That's good. And on this podcast, uh, you know, as mentioned, we we do have a lot of European listeners that, uh, of course, um, they're they're snobbish when it comes to baseball. Yeah. Let's put it to the to the European listeners, there's this sport called baseball. Uh, <laughs> you try to hit a ball with a bat. It's pretty cool. You guys might like it. Exactly. I mean, my own. What I'd love you to do here is my own co-host of the podcast, Irishman Neil Fitzpatrick. He he detests baseball. He he thought he <laughs> went to a Yankees game when he was in New York, and I told him it was actually a Mets game when he told me that. Like, that's the oh. level we're talking about here. How would you pitch baseball to someone like him? See, for me, I've learned to really embrace what other people view as the faults of baseball. Mm. People are like, oh, it's really slow, right? Sometimes nothing will happen for a long stretch. And I'm like, yeah, 
we can use that time to reflect on life. Uh, it's a slow game in a, in a fast paced world, right? Mm -hmm. Baseball is the only sport that I watch regularly with no clock. I mean, they do have a pitch clock now, but there's no like game clock to dictate how long the game takes. The game takes as long as it takes for the players to take care of their business on the field. And there's something about the waiting, waiting. And then when something major does happen, I mean, I think that your European listeners, I, I would imagine there's some soccer fans in that group. So it's not as though there needs to be like constant scoring right. in order for them to be engaged. But you can feel that build up, right? The way that the tension might build up during a low scoring or a scoreless game. And then you're just waiting to see who can get on the board first. Um, baseball, fundamentally, even more than soccer than any other sport that I'm familiar with, is about probabilities. And I like that aspect of it. It allows, right? I think our brains mostly, we evaluate the world in terms of things that will happen things that won't happen or things that might happen. And baseball is constantly asking us to differentiate between the chances that something, you know, if you have a 30% chance to get a hit, you're a 300 hitter, you're a good player. If you have a 20% chance and you're a 200 hitter, you might not even be good enough to stick on the team. And the difference, right, our, it almost breaks our brain to be like, what's the difference between 20% and 30% and 24%? And if you watch enough baseball, you will witness things that you know are supremely unlikely, right? A guy will come up and you'll be like, oh, this is the worst hitter on the team. I wish anybody else were batting right now because you don't get to control who's up. It's just the order. So your worst hitter will come up and you'll be like, oh, no. But the probability, even things that have a small probability do happen all the time. And so that terrible hitter might hit a home run. If you're watching the right game, you will see something that you know intellectually is extremely improbable. And I find that very rewarding. Because right, the, what's the most probable thing to happen in any moment in baseball is nothing. Right. <laughs> so any any time something does happen, which things, I mean, it's not like nothing ever happens. When there are hits, when there are runs, etc., it always feels like a small miracle, and it's it's really exciting. I love the tension, and the most like other crucial element of baseball is just that it's outdoors during the summertime. And it's meant to, I guess, unless you're at the Metrodome, but <laughs> historically and generally, it's a game where you're meant to embrace a beautiful weather environment as well. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a big part that you don't necessarily get from the TV is the ballpark experience, right? It's something that a lot of the other sports don't have in terms of all these rituals of going to the game. I mean, I wrote a piece on it a, a few months ago. It's, it's something I, loved I, your piece. I genuinely yeah. Yeah, that piece you wrote is really great. And I mean, even we learned to love baseball in the Metrodome, which is not the ideal environment for right. it. But our new park, Target Field, is like a cathedral. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. And I've been to Fenway Park. I've been to Yankee mm -hmm. Stadium. I mean, these baseball stadiums are very important to me as buildings. And right, I think they're absolutely glorious. You walk out and you see the grass. Right. And the, like when you see it in person, how green it really is and how mm. perfectly cut it is like that's special to me. I enjoy all the little details of baseball. Yeah, they're cultural landmarks and, and institutions at the end of the day. Right. I mean, I remember my first time at Fenway, for example, I went with my my younger brother, who, of course, was was betraying our Minnesota Twins and, uh, and supporting the Red Sox uh, in those years. And it was just you. I see it also from the perspective of how commercialized, you know, especially now we're, we're seeing with European soccer and football going in a direction where, you know, all these new stadiums uh, basically look the same, feel the same, have the same vibe, a bit as, 
as the NFL, right? Uh, baseball, there is still that that uniqueness, which has a lot to do with the with the place. Um, but Daniel, I'm going to spare you the conversation on the Vikings because I don't uh, think that's uh, that's going to do anybody any yeah. favors. Um, next next time off the air, we'll do our Minnesota Vikings therapy session. Yeah, exactly. Therapy <laughs> session is is the exact way to put it. I'm going to let you set aside your cap as our Minnesota sports correspondent. And after the break, listeners, we're going to come back and deep dive into D.H. Porter's music. Beautiful. you never shared I don't practice what I preach much arrive early but I never come prepared you don't deserve to wear the burden of being unaware I think I thought my youth would never end I think the world of my friends I'm afraid to die I'm a really bad liar so I barely try I just want to write I'm a pretty good rapper just getting by I'm a pretty good rapper nothing special really I just came to play a role like Festus Azili. Mom wants to talk about grad school. I'm bashful. Catch me in a bad mood. I'm smoother than a statue. I'm curving like a cashew. About to Kingside Castle and slide to White Castle. Write down every detail you can dream of. I want to know about the thoughts you never share. I don't practice what I preach much. Arrive early, but I never come prepared. wants to twist my knobs like an etch-a-sketch i got some really cool friends like inspect the deck we construct the worldview that validates our tendency listeners welcome back to my conversation with dh porter daniel i have some recollections of when we were in school and you would just walk down the halls you know in the morning coming into school just rapping random lyrics and i and i remember thinking like i have no clue what this guy is on about but it sounds cool that's the the first recollection I have of you rapping, you know, just off the cuff like that. Um, tell me a bit about what attracted you to the to the genre in the first place and how your interest in it developed. Yeah, that's funny. I'm sure people who have known me as an adult will hear that and be like, oh, so you were doing that as a kid too, huh? The random rap lyrics. That's always been. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, sometimes, you know, when in a work environment, I have to button up a little bit but there are still usually random rap lyrics bouncing through my head basically all day um i've loved you know music more like broadly and then rap more specifically since i was a kid i think part of it um the like humorous element of rap really has gravitated to me and just the element of like using language for fun finding different ways to evolve language to push language to like make people laugh to entertain even to set an environment for a party or whatever kind of social setting you might be looking for um i think relative to other genres like the words and the language component of rap are really central and so mm -hmm. that always jumped out to me as somebody who i care a lot about words and about language but then additionally uh and more broadly i love music dating back to I've, I have a dad who got me into music and just had tons of music around the house all the time, which I think as a kid is huge, right? No, you're not going to find out about anything that your parents aren't force feeding to you when you're like under the age of 10. 
Uh, and then, so that wasn't really like rap most of the time. That was more like classic stuff, whether it's rock or reggae or whatever else my dad was into. Uh, but then once I sort of, sort of started to reach the point where I actually had the agency to develop my own music taste, that's when like I became a big rap fan. Mm -hmm. And it was something that, you know, it, it cross pollinated, uh, ultimately influenced, uh, a lot of the rest of us, I remember in high school, basically all we all listened to was rap music. It, uh, I think I've back gotten, to it now. yeah, I've gotten a lot of friends into a lot of artists over the years. And that generally feels really good. Um, and you're totally right that, especially as such a big rap fan, I'm, I didn't really click for me until I left high school mm. that our friends listened to much more rap than the average group of friends. Exactly. Absolutely. And there's a big jump though, right? Because one thing is enjoying listening to a genre, you know, maybe being inspired by it, diving deep into it. I mean, you know, I love to watch movies, right? But I'm not going out there to be a director, right? What what led you to going and starting to actually recording your own stuff? The, the confidence of it all. There's all these different aspects, right? Of, you know what? I can do it. Let's see how I can do it. Right. So when we were kids, it never occurred to me that I would eventually want to be an artist. That was not really on my mind in mm -hmm. high school, even as much as I loved music, as important as it was to my identity. Uh, the idea of actually participating and making my own stuff, I think, like sort of slowly came out while I was in college. And I had aspiration. I went to a school called Wesleyan in Connecticut, which had a good music scene and had a lot of other people making music and making art in all mediums. So that was stimulating to me. And I got more and more into music, more and more specialized. And it wasn't until the end, I was able to book studio time while I was at Wesleyan and kind of figure things out. They had a studio on campus there that was free and available to students. But um, after college, I moved into a house with a bunch of other artists called Yeah Maybe in Minneapolis and South Minneapolis where they would do monthly art shows and there were artists of all mediums. And I also, I lived in, at that time with Connor Dowdo, who's another alum of our same high school as well. He was kind of my introduction to that world and a huge influence on me. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize that, you know, the barriers to entry really weren't that high. And that's another beautiful element of rap is that you only really need a few components for it. You don't need to, especially in this era, have a ton of money or to have like some intensive skill training, the, you can do it, you can get into it. And, uh, I think that I've grown, you know, I probably recorded my first album, I believe in early 2018 and it kind of makes me cringe now. Right. But right. it's been so long and like anything, you practice a lot and you get better. Um, and really in the last like two years, I've continued to expand my, network and my connections a lot locally so that it's less like something I'm doing on my own and more like a community that I'm a part of. And that's made a big difference in terms of just keeping me going. But I started to kind of think about it in college. I messed around a little bit in college uh, and then immediately post-college living in that house with a bunch of artists and creating a community with artists made me realize that I really wanted my own outlet. And I've been on that path for several years. Yeah. And I'm going to read off something from our listeners that I got that you wrote on, on your social media account announcing uh, the release of, of one of your latest albums, HBD, 
Repetition is a form of change, has become an enduring mantra. I've really fallen in love with the process of making and recording music. My studio has been a safe haven for a long time. I'm honored to inhabit the space and try to do it justice. I'd be happy to spend the rest of my life in there. This is clearly something that you love, that you have a deep passion for. It's a big part of your life, right? Yeah, I, I have my own studio. In addition to my apartment where I'm recording this podcast, I rent a, an art studio in St. Paul. Um, that right, That's the safe haven I'm talking about. I mean, it's it's incredibly important to me. I love to bring people in there and show it off. I'm in there, you know, many nights per week, including tonight we'll be in the studio. And I am also, it allows me to provide a resource to other artists, right? And I have something I can offer, something I can bring to the table because like wanting to help people and to connect with people through music is very important to me and one of my main priorities, um, right? That community element of it is very important. and. It's special there. I mean, I wish I could bring the listeners with me. There's this four floor, four story spiral staircase. Uh, it's a very old, you know, at least a hundred year old converted warehouse building. And I rent the top floor with some other artists. I just have one room in there. Even that room I share with another guy. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of become our project together. And we're in there enough, always investing time and energy into trying to make this place a little nicer. It's not like particularly fancy, but it's perfect for our needs. And I, I do, it's one of the main things that even keeps me here in Minnesota and like a sort of guiding force in my life is that I love the studio and I want to keep it and continue to invest in it. Um, and that's more of like a pragmatic thing, right? It's not just about me at a certain point is I think that these kinds of resources need to exist. And there, it's not always available locally. I mean, some people that not being able to have access to studio time is a huge barrier to entry for them, or they have to pay mm -hmm. for it. Being able to go in there whenever I want and record for as long as I want is a huge privilege and a huge luxury. And it's really allowed me to grow as an artist. And it's allowed you to release a lot of music. I mean, you already have two album releases just this year. We're recording on February 21st, HBD and Bounces, um, about as prolific as, I mean, you can choose between James Patterson or Joyce Carol Oates, maybe choose Joyce Carol because, I mean, Patterson doesn't really write his own stuff. But walk me a bit through the the whole creative process because, I mean, you're having ideas for, for stuff, uh, for songs. I imagine you jot stuff down, but how do you then get to putting this all together into an album and doing it four or five times a year? Yeah, uh, I'm thrilled to be compared to Joyce Carol Oates. That's great. Um, I think it's a multi-pronged process for sure. There's a component of it where as I'm walking around in the world and living my life, like lyrics are always playing in my head, right? Mm -hmm. Even dating back to childhood. And sometimes those are other people's, but oftentimes I'm coming up with my own stuff and then repeating it back to myself. Uh, so I don't forget it or to try to add to it or just because I think it's funny and clever and humor is an important part of what I do. Um, there is also a component where, and this is easier when I'm in there with other people, where I've begun trying to start and finish a project in one sitting. Wow. So I'll have a friend make a beat. And as he's doing that, I'm writing to it. 
And it becomes more about how can I get all my feelings from today down on paper, whatever I'm feeling, whatever's on my mind, uh, to get those thoughts out of my head and onto paper is it's healing and it's relaxing to me. And you do that enough times and all of a sudden it's like, all right, I guess we have an album now. I mean, most of the time that I'm in the studio, I emerge with a discrete song at the end. Sometimes we're working on things that take multiple sessions, but most of the time there is a product at the end of every session. And so that adds up to dozens of songs over the course of a year. I mean, I hope to release, to be honest, I write goals and, um, and over the course of my lifetime, I'd love to release at least 25 albums. Well, uh, I think I'm about a third of the way there right now. And yeah, that's, that's one of the goals I have. And being a prolific artist is definitely important to me. And that's where having my own studio space makes a huge difference because uh, having to pay to use somebody else's space on a daily basis would be prohibitive. Right. And one thing is, you know, releasing stuff out into the world, having people listen to it, getting feedback, getting all of that. But what does making the actual music do for you? Is there a cathartic element there? <clears throat> a lot of it is for me. Yeah, it's it's good for me. Um, it is emotionally. I mean, I think we'll touch on this, but some of my stuff gets pretty personal. And that can be hard, ultimately. And the vulnerability there is exhausting. Mm. But like making i mean just the act of creating something from scratch i find really valuable in general you know you go from nothing to there's a thing at the end it feels like magic it feels like it sort of appears out of thin air if you let it if you create the space and the environment and allow that magic in i mean i really think music is it's magic and it's very healing to me the when i can share that with other people or i can say something that feels very real and personal and vulnerable and it does resonate with people i mean that's one of the best feelings in the world to me because uh i do struggle with mental health issues and in in general just with finding it hard to relate to people and like music as an outlet has allowed me to communicate and to express myself in ways that just otherwise wouldn't be available and that mental aspect is really that mental health aspect is really a red thread through throughout your work. I was listening to more stuff before before coming into to record today, and you mentioned that vulnerability. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would be as brave as you are talking about these things, let alone you know recording them into song, putting them out in the world. Um, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm in treatment for a mood disorder. Uh, I have a relatively rare mental illness that affects my life every day in myriad ways, and that I think also like tends to lend itself to creativity. And I think that there is sort of pros and cons to that illness, but when I am feeling good. Uh, I have a lot of energy, right? And it's important for me as kind of a coping mechanism to keep moving and to always be doing things. And additionally, the like having the outlet of music, as I was saying in the previous answer, is incredibly helpful to me. Uh, the way that I've learned to do that and the way that I've gotten positive feedback and that I've been able to resonate with people is by being honest. And it feels good to me to be as honest and transparent and real as I am. Uh, and if that helps other people who are dealing with similar 
situations and similar conditions, then that's even better. I mean, that's not the assumption that I'm making. Mm. I would hope that people, whether, you know, whether you're bipolar or not, I think you can find something in my music to resonate with and to relate to, but especially people who have walked a similar path. Um, my hope is that they'll feel less alone as a result of my contributions to the world. And do you think you're, you're striking this note in a way at the right time? I mean, if I think back even 10 years ago, these were not conversations we would be having. Um, and I'm not saying just us, but like in general, you know, as a culture, as a society, talking about mental health or saying things like, hey, I feel quite depressed today or at this very moment. Where do you think we are in terms of, you know, discussing mental health in, in 2024? And what what trajectory do you think it's on? Do you think it's a good one? I think it's great that we can have these conversations at all. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I think continuing to push for nuance is kind of the next step and mm. acknowledging um, it's there's a whole spectrum of mental illnesses and it's it's not just depression it's not just anxiety there's all of these different mental health issues that are uh fairly common at least common enough that there's a good chance that somebody you know is afflicted at, or at any given time struggling with some kind of severe mental illness and i i mean compared to 10 15 20 years ago i think what we have now is way better and i also look and i still think uh i wish that there were more people like me in sort of like public facing positions. I mean, I wish there were even more people talking about bipolar. Uh, I wish that there were more people talking about anxiety and depression. And I know that we're on the path to where that is going to continue to become more normalized and acceptable. And I think that's great. I'm sure maybe there are some people who, who don't relate to that, but my hope is that still it's at least interesting to them. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of start to think about the, like ultimately i am curious about humans and about people in general and i know a lot of other folks are too mm -hmm. and i think that this is just part of mapping the overall human experience and um i mean especially i think men are taught to kind of like mask our feelings and to not uh act on emotion or to show emotion and i don't know that that's healthy i don't know that what we were taught growing up uh in fact i don't believe that it is healthy i think beings more like emotionally aware and engaged is good. And so if that's, if that's the world, I do think that's the world we're trending towards and that's the world I would prefer to live in. Absolutely. And of course there is still a stigma around things for anybody going through, you know, such issues. Like how would you advise them to, Hey, it's all right. It's normal. Here's how you can deal with it. I think that the first the first piece of advice I would give to anybody struggling with mental health issues is just don't give up because uh, it can get better and it will get better. Um, mm. And it's hard. I've had to work really hard for a long time on my mental health specifically. And I think during 2020, for fairly obvious reasons, uh, things took a nosedive for me. And I've had to lean on my family and friends as well as uh get professional help. I mean, I'm in therapy and that's been incredibly helpful to me. Um, I would advise people not to hide from it or to run from it and try to own it and accept it if you can and seek out whatever resources you do have available. I mean, it can be expensive, um, but it's worthwhile. I find for me personally, in-person therapy, I mean, telehealth 
has its pros as well and has its benefits. But for me, being able to go into an office and sit down with a therapist once per week and talk about everything that has been going on and explore different tactics, listen to strategies that she might have that had never occurred to me, has been incredibly helpful. And I don't know that therapy is the end all be all. Not everybody is going to click with every therapist. But for me, it's been a huge part of my healing and recovery. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, very brave, Daniel. And listeners, after the break, we'll come back with a little bit more on DH Porter's music. Yeah, thank you, man. Listeners, welcome back. And we couldn't let him off without a few postulations here. Um, one of our favorite recent devices has been using Mount Rushmore, Daniel. And I would like to run a couple of these by you. Unprompted. So your, your European listeners, they know what Mount Rushmore is. I wasn't really fully sure if Mount Rushmore is a thing that has like a global <laughs> profile. I've been there. It's I've not been there, yeah. too far from us it's, i mean it's like an eight or nine hour drive but in the grand scale of america it's not too, Peanuts, too far yeah. yeah they know what it is um they don't necessarily know where it is which is why in one of the episodes you know we dove in into the beginning and i was telling niels neil we're here we're in the black hills of south dakota and i was like close to and he answered well north dakota which yeah. to be fair you know but he's uh, right yeah exactly that's that's part of the fun of making a podcast as well is you you figure out where you have to fill in some gaps here and there or where the listeners fill them in for you um the mount rushmore i want from you daniel is your personal mount rushmore of rap music mm. and so i know this, this could be a two-hour episode but you know so we're not talking about like because if I were talking about rap on a global level, in terms of everybody, I think you start to talk about like Biggie and Tupac. But in terms of what's been most influential to me, it might not necessarily. I mean, I'll I'll put Biggie on mine, but this is about my taste specifically, right? Yes, yes correct. Okay. Um, I have to put Lil Wayne on there as well. Okay. Um, I think the dating back to high school and when I was first really getting into rap and wanting to participate, um, Wayne is one of the, the most formative rappers to me. Um, and the way that he is able to sort of use and explore language, I think is really underrated. I mean, that guy, especially in his prime with the mixtapes. And I, I really think he's a genius. Um, it's tough. 
you know, historically, I, I would have put Kanye West on there. Mm. And I'm really, I'm really torn about that now. Um, yeah, me too. I can't say, I mean, his actions and behaviors have, have affected me personally as a longtime fan and listener. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to leave Kanye off the list. I'm not going to put him on, but Fair. I do respect him. I want to uh, come so back we, to Kanye after we solidify this Rushmore, actually, and get your take on it. Cool. Gosh. Um, I got Lil Wayne, Biggie. I'll put Kendrick Lamar on there. Mm. Hmm. And then I kind of want somebody from, well, the more underground. Uh, let's put Earl Sweatshirt on as well. All right. What a Mount Rushmore. We'll throw that out to our listeners. I, I really like it. I, I, I could see where you were going with it. Um, I kind of got like every era of my life, in my opinion. Too. Exactly. That's how I looked at it. Exactly. We went cross decade. Uh, Kendrick, really amazing. Like, And I've seen that also like over here in Europe and what was it, in, in 2022 when, when he came out, you know, after having been silent for a while with his album. And honestly, also talking about very deep, uncomfortable things um in his songs as well really touching that nerve so i could see how you know he he's an influence on you um want to come back quickly to kanye this is where i struggle as well right because and i was reading the ringer had an article about kanye i think the the other week because it was 20 years since college dropout or something and toying with a lot of this stuff is it and then i just i put I put college dropout on, on Spotify. And I just, I went out for a walk and I was like, gosh, this shit was so good. How do you reconcile, yeah. right? And we have this, this issue, our generation so much with actors whose movies we love that then get quote unquote canceled and all of this. How do we reconcile that with Kanye? Because, you know, the moment he's in the news nowadays, you're like face palm, right? Oh, it's as a longtime fan. It's painful. It's hard to watch, uh, especially to my, I am Jewish and that component of it feels extra heavy to me, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and he's bipolar as well. So we, we share a diagnosis and that part is hard for me too, to see somebody with such a public profile, um, in my opinion, not handling their diagnosis and their illness well, and sometimes not being in treatment and uh taking a more destructive path it can be hard to watch as somebody who can at least on that level relate to what he's going through and i can relate to the mental illness component of it of course i can't relate to being rich and famous and one of the greatest rappers of all time but yeah uh <laughs> producers and all of it i mean his contributions are just incredible his legacy uh will absolutely last forever but this is part of that legacy too now and it's it's always going to be part of the story. It's a complicated story. We've always had like complicated pop stars and superstars and celebrities in America. It's part of American culture to, um, to lionize famous people uh, and to build them up and then to break them down too. And I'm sure that that the like unhealthy relationship with fame and with wealth has spurred some of his issues as well. But nonetheless, uh, I go back and forth. I mean, there's pro there's dozens of Kanye songs that I could probably rap every word to. Like, mm -hmm. not not just College Dropout. I love College Dropout, and that was one of the albums that got me into rap. But even, I mean, Graduation, I think, is really special. 
Uh, and even some of the stuff like 808s and Heartbreak and Yeezus, which might not be for everyone. Right. Uh, I, I really enjoy 808s and I enjoy Yeezus. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that I've started to kind of get tired of his musical output. But I mean, it's not just college dropout. He's got a handful of classic albums and I, I find it harder and harder to revisit. I don't listen to his music nearly as much as I used to because of how I feel about him as a person. Yeah. It's difficult to separate the two things, right? For me, it is. And if if other if for others it's not that's okay too, right. uh, I think that's fine. But for me, especially tying back to the start of our conversation, I mean, rap is a very personal form, mm-hmm. and language and words are very important to me. So I, I can't just it's not as though he's like an instrumentalist. Like the the stories that he's telling are a crucial part of the experience of listening to him, and I want to feel like I can trust him and believe him, and that I enjoy rooting for the person who I'm listening to. Yeah, definitely. And coming back also to the beginning of the conversation, Minnesota, Mount Rushmore of Minnesota musicians. Okay, well, um, you got two really big ones, right? Yeah. You got Prince and Bob Dylan. Yes. And it, I mean, Prince is in another category, but Bob Dylan as well is a legend. And it almost feels sacrilegious to put anybody else on on there. Right. It's hard to fill out a four person Mount Rushmore and give anyone as much space as Prince. You right. could be like uh, three Prince heads and then one Bob Dylan is like <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably the most appropriate way to do it. It could just be Prince. You could just do a giant statue of Prince. And I don't think anyone would mind too much. I mean, there's Slug from Atmosphere yeah. uh, the and the Rhyme Sayers crew. I mean, that's really what I grew up on. Uh, idea from that group as well has been incredibly formative to me. I would, I would want to put idea on my own personal Minnesota Mount Rushmore. Um, is there anybody else that comes to mind for you that you reflect on when, from your time here? I mean, from my time there, there's different routes you could take, right? Because if you go down the rap route, right, we didn't just have atmosphere. We also had brother Ali, right. On that rhyme Sayers label as a, as a, as a twin cities guy. And then, you know, I'm also I'm looking at a list here. If you go down another route and you look at, you know, in terms of global appeal, let's say, mm-hmm. songs that, that have a legacy to this day, for example, Semisonic. Wow, a lot of people. that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, shoot, there's always Funky Town. Yeah. That's not rock, but that's from here. Semisonic is a good one. Uh, Craig Finn and The Hold Steady. I listened to a fair amount growing up. The whole yeah. study are cool. And the replacements are considered to have been highly influential for a lot of a lot yeah, of music that I, came from them. I know I feel bad that I don't know as much about or by the replacements, but they are very famous and deserve to be mentioned as well. And then um I wanted to run this by you. Do we consider Lizzo a Minnesotan mm. musician? That's a good one. Uh, she spent a lot of time in Minneapolis, and I think that her she started to emerge in the local scene here. Like her path to fame definitely started in Minneapolis, but mm-hmm. she's not from here originally. Um, I know that she loves the city a lot, uh, but it, I don't know that she would claim it as her home. And I, th- I do think that that distinction matters. But she spent some really formative years here and made a lot of great music while she lived here. We're definitely proud of her connections locally. Uh, and if she wants to claim it as her home, I think 
most Minnesotans would say she's more than welcome to, but uh, it's, you know, there's plenty of nuance there because she's lived a lot of places. Right. Right. We'll take her though. Absolutely. Yeah. If she wants, if she wants a spot on that Mount Rushmore, we could probably exactly. squeeze her in next to the giant Prince head. Exactly. We'll carve it out. <laughs> Prince, unbelievable that my wife always reminds me how, despite the fact that I'm the one that grew up in Minnesota, she's the one that actually saw Prince live multiple times. You know, it, we it were just talking. Yeah, we were talking about Super Bowl halftime shows at work not long ago, and that is still the greatest ever for my money. Oh, yeah. There's like, you can leave again, like with the Mount Rushmore, the next like nine slots of that top 10 blank because nothing came close. Everyone tried, even Tom Petty, Bruce, whatever, but nothing came close. No, his was like easily the best. Yeah, unbelievable. I'm actually after the after we get off of this, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that onto the YouTube because, anyways, you know, it's about a 15 minute show, right? But that was unbelievable. Um, so Daniel, to round things off, tell the listeners a bit about your your plans for 2024 with your music. Yeah, you can find me. Uh, I make I rap and make beats and record music, uh, most of which is available on all platforms as DH Porter. Uh, those are my first two initials and then my last name, D.H. Porter. It's not some crazy name or anything, but I like it. It works for me. Um, I My plans for this year are really to make as much music and to perform as much as possible. Um, I have a show coming up next month in Chicago that I'm very excited about. It's going to be my first time performing in Chicago. Awesome. I think that's going to be really fun. Um, I have a couple collaborative albums in the works, which is a little easier, right? You're talking about the process earlier and uh, definitely when I don't have to do it all myself because I'm part of a group that makes things easier and more fun for me. So I think that my next couple albums will be group albums. And then hopefully before the end of the year, we'll get another DH Porter album out as well. It just kind of depends on, you know, if I'm doing more shows, I'm traveling around doing shows, and that's probably less time that I'm in the studio. Uh, there's a give and take to it, of course. But my hope is to, you know, at the start of the year, I set a goal for myself of five albums this year, and we're two in, and it's not even March yet. So I, th I think I got a pretty good chance, but plenty of the work that went into those two albums happened last year. It right. isn't as though all of that happened in the last eight weeks. Like the groundwork was laid for those albums in 2023. And so it's possible that I'll spend this year laying groundwork for things that won't happen until next year, at least by the end of the year. And that's fine too. That's awesome. Yes. Listeners encourage you all to check him out. DH Porter on anywhere, basically where, where you get your music, follow him as well uh, on the socials uh, at the release of the episode. Of course, we're going to tag him in all our show notes and everything. And uh, well, Daniel, thanks for stopping by lost in postulation. Dude, it's been such a pleasure. I love what you're doing here. Congratulations on the show. Thanks for making time for me. Uh, I hope your listeners realize how lucky they are to have access to your insights and just wonderful attitude and worldview. Thanks, man. means a lot. And uh, look forward to having you back on in the future. Oh, I would love to come back on the show. Thanks so much. Great. It's hard to see the forest from the trees. Porter, possibly Marty, it's my birthday.